Well, hello, Hillcrest. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Perhaps it was a different one, but so excited uh, to be with you uh, here today. You are a worshiper. If you're a human being, there's nothing more central or fundamental to who you are. Some people worship falling in love, and others their independence. Some worship freedom and expression, and others science and technology. Some worship hard work and dedication, and others pleasures of many kinds. You worship something because you are a worshiper. That's how God made us. You may not think of it as worship, but you either worship the one true God or you worship something else. When you worship something else besides the one true God, the Bible calls that idolatry. And an idol can be anything or anyone. We get to choose what or who we worship. But if the God who is revealed in the Bible is who he says he is, he is truly the only one who deserves all glory and praise. We began this series, Believe, uh, looking at ten beliefs. uh, And this is the first of the ten practices that we're going to be exploring over the next ten weeks. Now, if you had great intentions of being with us along this journey through uh, Believe, but have struggled so far, perhaps now is a chance for you to re-engage with us, to come uh, back and pick up that Believe book and start reading along with us and engaging with what we're doing. You won't regret if you do. Today we're going to outline three important aspects about worship. The heart's intent, worshiping unashamed, and worshiping together. Throughout the Bible, there's many different kinds or expressions of worship. Music and singing. Instrumental music with all kinds of different instruments. There was shouting, various postures, standing, kneeling, bowing down, raising hands, clapping hands. There was ceremonial washing, sacrifices of various kinds. There were many kinds of activities that were involved in temple worship that the priests would perform. But even unique acts, like pouring out water on the ground in a cave, could be an act of worship to God. Worship is to behold God, who he is and what he's done, and to respond with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength with some act of love. That's why there's not really an exhaustive list of ways to worship God. I encourage you to worship using all the ways you know have been done by believers throughout history and to still go on and find more ways to worship. So, sing and dance, write music, kneel, bow down, raise your hands, and shout. But far beyond what you do to worship is your heart's intent when you worship. See, the nation of Israel often settled into their rituals of worship but allowed their hearts to wander. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were devoted to going through the motions, but it was all just to be seen by the people. They were concerned with outward appearances, but their hearts were far from God. They were no longer beholding him. They had filled their hearts with other things. See, the nature of a worshiper is to set our attention and our affection on something, to celebrate it and experience it. 
But ultimately what we worship becomes our Lord and our Master. We worship. What we worship, we serve. And everyone serves somebody. We've said it here many times. Jesus is the only master who doesn't enslave. Uh, A group of theologians in the 1600s, in an effort to unify a number of churches, sat down to sum up certain beliefs. So they searched the scripture, and on the subject of humanity, they said this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Worship is both to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It is both. Glorifying God brings us joy, and enjoying God leads to more worship. For all of eternity, we can set our hearts, attention, and affection on him, and continually be overcome by his majesty and beauty. But when we worship something that fades, something that that can't last forever, something that can't keep our attention and affection forever, it ultimately does not satisfy us. If you worship anything or anyone besides God, the enjoyment will run its course. and We will feel more and more empty. There are diminishing returns, and so its pursuit becomes enslaving. And more than that, your worship is so powerful, it can crush everything else but God. It is the most powerful aspect of who you are. And it was meant to be set on the eternal, all-powerful, almighty, one true God. So if you set your worship on something that is not as glorious as God, it can be destructive. For example, if a parent defines themselves only as a parent and seeks to worship them and find all of their greatest joy in them, they will crush their kids because they can never, never truly bring satisfaction, lasting satisfaction. In the end, those that worship their children ruin the relationship with their kids. It could be success. It could be money, finding a spouse, having a house, looking a certain way. Anything that you can set your worship on will be destroyed or you enslaved in its pursuit. Nothing but God can satisfy you. But when worship is set, On the one true God. He is eternally glorified. And we are eternally satisfied in him. Set your heart on him. It's really quite simple. Fill your heart with all that you know of him. His character and attributes. What he has done for us. And then do something as an act of worship. Collect in your mind everything you know of him. Connect your heart And then do something. Sing or bow down or simply say thank you. You can offer grand gestures or simple, mundane, menial tasks as worship. See, when you have a revelation of something incredible or beautiful, like the sunset over Niagara Falls, perhaps long before there were tourists around and fences and all kinds of things, Imagine being one of the first people to come upon that site. Perhaps you're traveling with a group of friends and you are traveling along this trail and your ears get your curiosity. You hear this roar in the distance. You wander through the trees by yourself 
and you emerge from the trees to see this incredible sight. Then rejoin your group, come back through the trees and onto the trail with your friends, and then say nothing about it? Your friends might say, well, did you, did you see anything? You wandered off there for a second. What did you see? What did you do? You might just shrug your shoulders and say, no, nothing. <laughs> that wouldn't satisfy the experience. When you behold something like that, the completement of the enjoyment is when you express it. When you share it with somebody else. When you come running, running back to your friends and say, stop. You have to come and see this. It's the most magnificent waterfall in all of the world. Just a few hundred steps from here. Join me. Come and see. Come and experience this with me. See, I love instrumental guitar music. One of my favorite artists is a guy called Pliny. And I don't know anyone else personally who listens to and loves Pliny as much as I do. See, slowly my children are becoming acquainted with him because they can't escape. And they hear it playing so often that eventually they've started to request hearing some of the songs from Pliny. But there's a longing in my heart to share my experience, the joy and wonder of it, with someone else who's having the same experience. Now, I might share it with some of you, but you might not have quite the exact same experience. But if I could find someone who loved it as much as I did, and I could share it with them, it would amplify and multiply the experience of listening to and enjoying that music. When you behold God, it's part of the experience. It's part of the enjoyment. But when you worship him, it multiplies the experience. See, some of you, perhaps even call yourself Christians, think that God is okay. But you've never really had the full experience. Perhaps it's because you hold back in worship. If you want to multiply your experience with God, don't hold back. In fact, that's the second major point from this chapter in Believe. First was the intention of our hearts, that our hearts have to be connected to the motions that we go through in worship. Our hearts have to be connected. In fact, God doesn't want to have any of those motions, those behaviors, the songs, the singing, the dancing, the tradition. He doesn't want any of that if our hearts aren't in it. But the second one is being unashamed as worshipers. King David danced with all his might among the people, just in ordinary clothes, despite the fact that he was a king. The Ark of the Covenant was coming back into the city, and he celebrated the Lord as the Ark of the Covenant was coming. His wife despised that he would do that. How could he embarrass himself like that? He was unashamed. Nothing was going to stop him from worshiping God. Can any of you say that you have worshipped with all of your might? I'm not talking about an emotional frenzy. But I am saying that worshiping God with all your might might look very similar. Again, here at Hillcrest, I think um, we end up having some conservative worship. We're pretty safe. And there's lots of cultural reasons why that might be true. Uh, and I'm not saying that you should be inauthentic in your worship. Remember, there's limitless ways to worship God. But are you honestly bringing your A-game when you worship? Do you leave it all on the field? See, I'm a 
pretty reserved person. And if me being reserved as a worship leader here has held you back, I apologize. I'm so glad that we have such excellent leaders here at Hillcrest. People who are all in when it comes to worship. Sharon is often out of breath leading worship. And in fact, during this season, she's been finding it difficult to keep her mask on because she just wants to sing. Joy when she's leading. And in fact, even in rehearsal, she's so moved by some of the songs that we sing that she's often moved to tears. She's choked up and she can't even continue to sing. She's all in, passionately worshiping Jesus. If you thought that as a church we wanted to be modern but conservative in our worship, it's simply not the case. We want to be a church filled with unashamed worshipers whose hearts are set on the Lord. Now, Daniel was someone who didn't let anything stop him from his continual worship and prayer, even though he knew that his quiet time with the Lord could get him killed. He wouldn't miss it. He wouldn't worship any other God. His heart was set on the eternal, almighty God, the one on whom he could set his worship without bringing destruction on himself or someone else. It's such a marvelous a story, we just heard it earlier. And there's so much to learn from Daniel. His character and diligence led to a promotion and it also got him into trouble at work. Because of it, he was loved and hated. But it didn't move him one bit. One day, he's in charge of the whole kingdom and the next in the lion's den. But Daniel had one of the most simple devotional templates out there. He gave thanks, and then he asked for help. If you're wondering where to get started in your own devotions, in your own personal worship and prayer, it's very simple. Give thanks and ask for help. In the end, you see King Darius sending out a letter to the whole kingdom, and it includes a song. I'm not sure who wrote it or what tune it had, but someone had a revelation of God because of the life of Daniel, and then they responded. This is Daniel 6, chapter 20, or verse 26 and 27. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. If you're wanting to grow in your worship, this is a great place to start. Use Daniel 6, verse 27, and make it personal. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Kurt from the power of fear. He has rescued Sheila. He has rescued Dave. He's rescued Matthew. He's rescued Kristen. What have you been rescued from? What have you been saved from? What has threatened to devour you and destroy you? When were you in a, a den of lions, but there were no teeth? Now, the third aspect of worship. Again, the first, the intent of the heart. The second, being unashamed. And then, it is worshiping together. 
Worshiping God can be a private and personal experience, like Daniel alone in his room, three times a day, seven days a week, week after week. But much of worship is meant to be practiced in community. After you call your friends to come and see Niagara Falls, you would stand there, drawing attention to all of the different details. You'd see someone smile, someone laugh, someone tear up, someone shout, someone filled with a near endless fidgeting energy. Every worshiper adds something else to the other worshiper's experience. See, God made us as individuals who would unite in worship as a community. When you behold God, it's part of the enjoyment. When you worship him, it multiplies the experience. But when you respond together, it multiplies the experience again. Here's some final thoughts. Much of the temple worship that took place outlined and foreshadowed the work of Christ on the cross. All of the animal sacrifices throughout the Old Testament, worships, uh, that worship ceased. And in Christian worship, instead, it's replaced with the celebration of the Lord's table, where we remember Jesus' death and resurrection. See, the cross is the most powerful point on which we could focus our attention when we are seeking to behold him. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, if you've never admitted that you need a Savior and made him the Lord of your life, would you pray this with me? Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for me, my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, throughout this scripture, believers in God are instructed to worship him. We are not called to merely go through the motions, but instead we are encouraged to authentically worship God from our hearts. While worshiping God for who he is and what he has done for us can be a private and personal practice, we can also feel free to share our worship of the one true God with the world in community with others. This pleases God. It encourages us. When we can worship God from our hearts through every single breath, expression, thought, and activity of our lives. Doing this habitually will surely lead us closer to the great and gracious God of the universe. One final verse to share with you. So come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving, and extol him with music and song. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing grace that we can behold you, that we can see how you have revealed yourself through history and also personally to us, and that we get to celebrate you and enjoy you for all of eternity. Thank you that we can find such hope and purpose and meaning in you. Help us all to take our next step of obedience and learning more about ways that we can worship you in spirit and in truth from our hearts, sharing that with others and growing in community. In your name we pray. Amen.